All right, let's uh, go ahead and open up to John 14. John 14. We are moving right along in the Gospel of John. And it has been a journey. Um, I was trying to actually remember the other day when we have originally started, John. I, I almost want to say it was two years ago, and then we've kind of done it in spurts. But um, we will finish this year, um, not long after Easter. So I don't know where we're going next. Not yet. Still a long way from there. But today we're going to be in John 14 towards the end. Um, while you're kind of finding that, I thoroughly love the show Alone. Um, I'm not sure if you do. I like most stuff that comes on History Channel, um, but I really love the show Alone. Um, I think I've actually been able to watch every season so far. Um, and what's impressive to me is the amount of skills that those individuals have, right? Uh, has anybody ever watched Alone? Okay, like two, three people. So you have no idea what I'm talking about. So I probably should explain the show alone to you. So the show alone is they take 10 contestants, and they are allowed to take like a bag of like extra clothes, a small bag, and then 10 items, whatever they choose to take, whether it be a knife, an axe, um, an extra tarp, fishing line, a little thing of fish hooks, whatever. And they pick a location, and they drop these 10 individuals in different spots, completely alone, and all they have is that little bit of stuff they took. And the premise is, is pretty much last man standing wins. They have a sat phone, and when they're ready to tap out, they call, and they come get them, and they're done. And the last man standing wins, like half a million dollars or something like that. And, and it's super intriguing. Um, They've been to a couple different places. They've been to like the Vancouver Islands in um, Alaska, and they're surrounded by bear and wolves and cougars, and they've had like legit close encounters, like bears like at their tarp, like, you know, where they have to holler and all that kind of stuff, and um, like face-to-face -face encounters with wolves and, and that kind of deal. They've been to Patagonia. They've been to Mongolia. Um, and the, but the skills are just amazing, right? Because most of these people will go and they'll build a little shelter and they have to find their own food and, and all of this. And, and they have to do it with the, just the handful of items they take. But what's most intriguing to me is the toll that just the, the sheer loneliness takes on these individuals, right? Because it doesn't matter how prepared they are. It doesn't matter how awesome their skills are. At some point, they all begin to just break down. Uh, there have been very few that I've seen that are just like completely unfazed by the fact that they have not seen their family in, you know, however many days. I'm not going to tell you because you might want to watch it and I don't want to spoil it. But most of them just crumble. And, and some of the, I mean, like we're talking like um, people that do wilderness training. They do bushcraft training. They've like been in the military. I mean, these are, it, it's not like they just picked like 10 of us and said, hey, let's go do a show. Good luck. Now, these are people who know what they're doing, but that loneliness just absolutely cripples most of the contestants. And so it really gets you to thinking, well, why is that? Why is it that they can't exist that way? The answer is simple. We weren't created to be alone, 
We were not created to spend our existence completely alone. You can see that all the way back to the creation story in Genesis. It was not good for man to be alone, so God created him a helpmate. In John 14, we see um, kind of this continued teaching of Jesus to his disciples, comforting them on the fact that he's leaving, right? I mean, the whole deal of chapter 14 is all about comforting the disciples. He's just told them that he was leaving, um, that he was going to depart. Judas has done what he was going to do. He's been excused. And Peter makes his bold claim like, I'm going to. No, Peter, you're not. You can't do this. And, and then Jesus begins to comfort his disciples. And last week, he comforted them by promising them heaven, right? If you love me and if you follow me and if you surrender to me, then at the end of this life, you will receive the glories of heaven. You will find your place in my Father's house. And the only way you're going to do that is because I'm going to prepare that place for you. But this week, he, he twists that just a, a hair, and he begins to add a little bit more. He doesn't simply promise them heaven, but he actually promises them the Holy Spirit. And the reality is this, that the promise of the Holy Spirit assures the people of God that we'll never be alone. He is always with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And what we'll see today is how the promise of the Holy Spirit affects our everyday lives. It's not just we get a gift, we play with it for a little bit, and then we discard it. No, this is something that we get, and it's with us, and, and He lavishes the life that God has called us to live within us, and, and He helps us to pursue God's glory. And the main idea is this, that God gives the Holy Spirit as the comforter and guide for all of life. Now, what I want us to do is I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're actually going to read the passage in sections as we get to those this morning. So we're going to change it up a little bit. So if you will, just pray with me that, that God would open up our ears and our hearts to um, the purity of His Word this morning, um, and that He will speak through His Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning again, as we come to this portion where we open Your Word together, we ask that you would just help us remove all the distractions of our life so that we can just focus on you and hear from you. To hear the goodness of this message that you give through your word this morning. It is grace in and of itself that we have your word in our hands. But even more, Father, that you allow us to read and study it and to receive the promises that you make in your word. So God, as we work through this text this morning, may we realize and understand the wonderful gift that you have given to your children in the Holy Spirit. That through him you would live in us, helping us to accomplish the work you have set us apart to do. Helping us to do all things for your glory. To help convict us of our sin. To help us rejoice in the work of your hands. To comfort us when we're broken. Father, may we hear your word. And may it take root down deep into the very fabric of our souls. 
so that we be the people you would have set us apart to be. We ask that you would bless the reading of your word as we work through this text. And that we come to an even greater knowledge of who you are this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of the spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the very first part of the message today is the promise of the spirit. And we see in verse 15 through 17 this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus' comforting of the disciples continues in this section by, again, not simply just promising heaven like we saw in verses 1 through 14 that comes after this life, but he promises them the help and the gift of the Holy Spirit to help guide them and lead them in this life. So we not only have the gift of Christ here and now, but we also have the gift of eternal reward, eternal um, being in the eternal presence of Christ after we give our life. And I love that we sang that song this morning declaring that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain because that's exactly what we're meaning here. That as long as God has us here, He has given us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to do His work. And again, like Ephesians 2.10 says, that He is already prepared beforehand. But for me to die is also gain because we spend eternity with Him in the Father's house. And what we see starting here in verse 15 is really kind of building on something that we've actually seen quite often in the Gospel of John. And it's this idea that work and obedience are necessary for the Christian. But we also see the twist that it's only possible to work for Christ and to be obedient to the Word of Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. But it's also important that we remember this. That we don't love Christ and we're not obedient to Christ to gain His love. We're obedient to Christ because we've already been loved. We don't work for the Lord hoping that we will receive a reward. We work for the Lord because the reward has already been accomplished through Christ. And there's a vast difference there. There's a vast difference between working for something and working because we've already received something. And that's the goodness of the gospel, that Christ has already accomplished the work necessary for us to be saved on the cross. It was finished once for all. And then he calls us to be his children and he sets us apart to do his work. So then what we see is this. That obedience for the children of God, for those who have trusted their life and their salvation to be in the hands of Christ, obedience is not optional. It's our reality. Again, look at verse 15. He says, if you love me, you what? You will keep my commandments. Now, you need to understand the heart of Christ here, right? 
If you love me, then that means you have received the gift that I'm offering you. That means you understand that I am who I say I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of the living God. And I have come to make a way for you to be reconciled to God. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we love and we serve and we obey out of a spirit of gratitude and rejoicing. But the truth is, is we can't do this on our own power. So Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. You know, the reality is, is we could formulate a group of people and I can teach messages, Byron can lead us in songs, but without the working and the leading of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't honor God and lives are not radically changed for the gospel. And the sad reality is, is we see that a lot where we're not doing things because we want to honor God and we're led by the Holy Spirit. We do them simply because we want the praise of man. But the truth of our lives, according to Scripture, is that God has set us apart solely for His work. Not for our own own recognition, not for our own gain, but to build His kingdom through His help which is why He gives the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit isn't conditional on our obedience, but it is a gift following our surrender to Jesus for salvation. So we don't try to work our way to God and then hope we receive this gift. It's not as long as we check off certain box in Christian circles that we receive the Holy Spirit. No, if we have truly, according to Romans 10, 9, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we have believed in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then what? We are saved, right? And if we are saved, then we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is promised to be given to all who repent and believe in Christ Jesus. But who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinitarian Godhead. We believe in one God manifests in Himself in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. You know, we're a Baptist church. Most Baptist churches have a tendency to completely leave out the Holy Spirit. We, have a, we, we, we make much of God in His glory, and we enthrone Jesus as He is worthy of enthronement, but then we completely forget that there is another person in the Trinity, and it's the Holy Spirit. And He is a person. We call Him the Holy Spirit, but He is a person. And we can get in all the details on how we come to that conclusion, but it's simply because it says in verse 16 that He he will give us another helper. As if to say it's another person. Just like Jesus is here with us now, He is going to give us another helper. Another person that is truly God. Now, the word that we get helper there is actually from the Greek word paraclete, which means comforter or helper or advocate. It actually has several meanings. And I think that's actually fitting, that it has several meanings, because the work of the Holy Spirit covers a wide range of things for the believer. He's also our teacher. He's our guide. He's our advocate with the Father. 
And the gift of the Holy Spirit is a great benefit to us. And this is why. Because Jesus is preparing to leave. And he's already promised heaven, but he also goes on to say that I have to do this. I have to go. I have to accomplish this. I have to go to prepare a place for you. But I'm going to give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to help you make it through this life, to do the work that I've set you apart to do. And it's going to be a great benefit to you. Now, immediately they're probably thinking, but wait a minute, we have the Messiah here in our presence. How is, the Holy, how is another person going to be any greater than what you're doing? We think about this. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And if Christ is going to the cross to die to accomplish salvation for us, then we know because of the word that he will be resurrected and he sits at the right hand of God interceding for us to be our intercessor, to hear our prayers, to deliver them to the Father. And in addition to that, he then gives us his spirit to live within us, to help us, to comfort us, and to guide. So instead of it simply being Christ here with us, we actually now have Christ as our advocate with the Father in heaven, awaiting his return, and we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. So it's a great benefit for us that God would send his spirit to live within us. But notice this, that not only is he a helper and a God, but he says it also in verse 17 that he is the spirit of truth. He says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth is given by God so that we can know who he is. And it says pretty clearly here that the Holy Spirit is only given to Christians. That is, those who have truly, again, confessed and repented of their sins and believed that Christ is their only hope of salvation. And the truth is, is, and, and what we gather from verse 17, is that while they won't receive the Holy Spirit until Pentecost, they know Him because He is the Spirit of Christ. He's there with them now, and when He leaves, He will send His Spirit to live within them. What a comforting thing to know that even in his leaving, he's assuring them that he's not leaving them alone. And the thing is that sometimes we can look at texts like this and be like, that's great and all, but what about me? This is the same promise for us. He has promised to give his spirit to us as we confess Christ as well. Which means that the spirit of Christ, this same spirit, that would come to the disciples at Pentecost, that would lead to the explosion of the Christian church, that has been in and um, dwelling in the disciples and, and through Paul and through Stephen and through all of these great men of the faith, and then even after them, that would exist in reformers like Luther and Calvin, John Knox, and you can, we can go on and on and on, and then even into the modern day, those people who have been faithfully serving Christ, it's the same spirit that was given to them, and it's the same spirit that dwells in us. So when he tells Timothy, I've given you a spirit, not of fear, but of love and of sound mind and of self-control. So just do the work I've called you to do. We understand that it's the Holy Spirit that's given to us by God for God's purpose. And it's not some extra that we get if we 
again, check enough boxes. The Holy Spirit's not something we earn. It's not something that's only given to a select few after we're saved. It's given to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who have trusted in Christ for salvation. How do we know that? Because the Holy Spirit is part of regeneration for every believer and every Christian. The scripture clearly outlines that the Father ordains salvation, the Son accomplishes salvation on the cross, and the Holy Spirit then applies salvation to the believer. So why is it important that we hold to a Trinitarian belief of the Godhead? Because without a full understanding of the Trinity, we don't fully get salvation. You take away one part and you miss a big part. They all play their part in the salvation of you and I. And the Holy Spirit is just as an important of a part as the Father and the Son. And so Jesus, by way of comforting disciples, is doing so by promising them that the Spirit will come and dwell with them. And we know exactly when that happens, again, in Acts at Pentecost. But not only does he promise the Spirit, but with the promise of the Spirit, we also get the assurance of life. Look at verses 18 and following. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You've heard me repeat over and over and over and over again that the Christian life will not be an easy one. I know that's the popular message going out through radio and TV and all of this stuff, but that's not the truth of Scripture. The truth and the reality of Scripture is that we're never promised physical comfort for following Christ. We're never promised financial blessing for following Christ. The comfort found in Christ and the comfort found here in the giving of the Holy or the promise of the giving of the Holy Spirit is the spiritual presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit for every believer. Verse 18 again says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Here Jesus is promising that he'll never leave us. I mean, an orphan is someone who's been completely left alone. They have no mother, no father, no one to care for them. And here Jesus promises that he will never leave us as orphans. He will never leave us alone. And the good news is this. That while he is leaving, his absence is only temporary. For us, we'll never experience the absence of Christ once we trust in Christ. For them, they had a short period to where they were going to have to just trust in faith the work of God as Christ was accomplishing salvation at Calvary and through the resurrection. But for us, we never experience loneliness once we trust the Father. The Spirit of God is always with us. He tells them, I will come to you. What does he mean? Well, verse 19 says, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. In other words, he's about to leave this earth. He's about to give his life at Calvary. And he will be gone, but only for a short period. Three days. And then we know he appears to his disciples, to his followers. And so what's the hope? The hope is that he's returning. 
He's coming back. He will be raised from death to life. He will be resurrected. And when he appears to them, they will know. And further, there's kind of a twofold meaning here. He will appear to them again in the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Folks, once we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are His. For always and forever. He never leaves, He never forsakes. We're never abandoned. We're never alone. And I know the flesh may tell us otherwise. And we may have moments where we get completely alone, like just emotionally, and we maybe fight depression and we fight just the brokenness of our world. God never leaves his children. Never. He is always with us. And so if you could be comforted in anything, it's knowing that God is faithful. Therefore, we see that the assurance of life is spiritual. And just hang with me because that, I know that seems a little odd. They're like, wait a minute, how does that, we need to connect the dots, that's what we're about to do. It's spiritual because once we trust Christ, we have a new life in Christ. We live because He lives. Without the work of Jesus, we have absolutely no hope. It doesn't matter how much money we have, what kind of career we have, how talented we are, what kind of relationships we've developed. Without Jesus, nothing matters, and we are utterly hopeless. And so Jesus here is promising his disciples that comfort comes in the hope that life will be even better after the gift of the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost. Remember last week with the promise of heaven, it's really this assurance. Trust me, I have a plan. My plan will not fail. Hang on just a little longer. And the promise of the Holy Spirit for the disciples is very much that same promise. But the good news for you and me, we're not having to wait. Because once we trust Christ, the Holy Spirit invades our lives. How do we know that? Because without the Holy Spirit working in us, we will never trust Christ. So it takes the Holy Spirit for us to be saved, and He never leaves. And He goes on and provides even further comfort in verse 20. He says, And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What day? The resurrection of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection will provide much-needed assurance for the doubt they face. What doubt? Remember, they have given everything to follow Jesus. Their careers, their homes, life as they know it. And their assumption was they're following the Messiah and he is going to establish his reign and life is going to be different. Here we are three years later and he says, about that, I'm leaving. We've unpacked that so much over the last couple of weeks that I don't want to spend a ton of time there, but I just want you to think about what it would be like for you and I to be in that situation. I mean, have you ever been left or abandoned in any way? The, the hurtfulness, um, 
the, the pain that you feel there. And then just magnify that to the nth degree. That, that's pretty much what the disciples are going through at this point. And so Jesus is promising them the greatest thing ever. That their work is not in vain. That there is an eternal reward coming. And that just in case they thought they were going to have to do it alone, they don't have to because he's going to give them the Holy Spirit to live in and through them to accomplish the work he set on the part to do. Likewise for you and me, the assurance that we have of life is the assurance that when we surrender our, our lives to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit and he never leaves us alone. And so you wonder why we talk about Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 so much. It's because there's so much beauty there. If, if there's anything that really just summarizes the gospel in just a short set of phrases, it's that. That, that not only is salvation completely the work of Christ and Christ alone, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with me, thankfully. But he saves me for a purpose. He doesn't just save me and then set me aside and go on to the next. He's, he's saved me and he has prepared a work for me. Right? And that's no different for your life either. If you have surrendered your life to Christ, then guess what? There's a reason he has called you into salvation. There's a reason he has set you apart. The question is, is have we trusted Christ enough and are we living in faith enough to actually do the work he set us apart to do? Now, again, I want to give you the hard promise. It's going to be hard. It's going to be extremely difficult. And there are going to be days where you just want to throw in the towel and you're going to say it's just not worth it. But it is. And I've told you before, the one thing that I hold on to when I really don't seem to have anything left to hold on to is the promise that God gives for people in my position as pastors in First Peter, that I'm working for that unfading crown of glory. To be able to stand in the presence of my king and hear, well done, you did it. You were faithful. And just as you have been faithful, I promised you that I'm even more faithful. Here's your reward. Come in and enjoy my presence for eternity. We get so called up on the here and now on what this life is. And this life is short. Very short. Some of you understand that by now. Some of you are still learning this. It passes so fast. I didn't really get it, really, until I had my girls. Just yesterday, me and Allison were going somewhere, and we were talking about Sophie's birthday, and we are like, man, she's going to be seven. And... This past week, I was having a conversation about the church with someone. And they were like, you know, y'all been at this a couple years now. And I was like, eight and a half. Eight and a half years. That's a long time. God is really good. But life is really short. And what we have to understand is we're not simply working for just this brief moment we're here. We're working for the kingdom of God, which is an eternal kingdom. And he has provided all the hope we need in the promise of heaven and the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he tells us, again in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
So what is our motivation then? What is the motivation for us to be obedient to the Father? And that's number three. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, he's done his thing by now, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. And that's a beautiful phrase. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So once again, we see that obedience plays a vital role in the life of the Christian. But what's the, what's the motivation for it? The motivation is the love of God. Not our love for Him, but His love for us. Because if it's based on my love for Him, I'm not going to be very obedient. Because I'm going to fail day by day by day, but His love does not. So why do I work for Him? Why do I exhaust myself for the glory of God? Because He loves me. And really, we could just stop there and that's enough. The love of God is the greatest motivation that anyone could ever hope for. And here's what I mean. Christians are obedient because of the perfect and unwavering love of God towards us in Jesus Christ. So God doesn't just love me when I'm hitting on all cylinders. He loves me when I lose my temper. And act like a complete jerk. He loves me when I'm lazy instead of serving. He loves me when I'm drifting instead of diving into the Word. He loves me constantly. It never wavers. He's so different than you and I. I mean, our love for God changes moment by moment, right? I mean, not even saying like day to day or week by week. I mean, moment by moment, right? I mean, I'm sure, I mean, maybe you can attest to this. If you're honest, you probably say that's absolutely right. You can get up and you can read the word and you can spend time in prayer in the morning. It's like, "Ah." and by lunch, you're done. And you're like ready to like kick somebody in the mouth because they like took your parking place or, you know. I hear laughs, which means you understand what I'm saying. God's love isn't like that. He loves us despite us. What a joy that is. And he knows that we're going to fail. So what's he do? He gives 
the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us, to teach us. To help us be conformed into the image of Jesus. Because we can't do that without the Holy Spirit's help. But the flip side of this actually shows us something else. That if we're not living in obedience, and again, we're not going to do this perfectly, right? But if we're not, if our heart's not wanting to live in obedience, let's put it that way. If we don't have a desire to love and serve and follow Christ everywhere, then we likely don't know Christ. So I guess I probably shouldn't say if we're not being obedient, because there's plenty of moments where we're not going to be obedient. But what the Holy Spirit does is He convicts us of those moments. And if our heart has no inclination to love and serve Christ, then Christ is not there. And if he is not there, then you probably are very much alone. And you probably feel that everything you do fails and that you're completely hopeless. But there's hope. There is hope when everything seems full of despair. And it's Jesus. And so if you don't get anything, I want you to just understand that what Christ is saying here is that he has shown them more than enough to prove that he is who he says he is. And they've obviously believed something or, or otherwise they wouldn't be following him. Right? I mean, just curious. If some random guy come up to you and you had been striving for one particular career. You have went to college and graduate school and done internships and you've labored to get to that point. And he comes to you and says, follow me. How many of you just quit your job and just follow? Just give up your career. It would have to be pretty convincing, right? And he shows up to Peter, and Peter's just like, okay, Peter just leaves his boat. I don't know if you like to fish, but if you had a fat boat, and Jesus said, all right, let's go, would you just leave that beast on the shore? It'd be pretty hard, wouldn't it? Be like, Jesus, can we take this too? Just in case, you know, when we have to cross those seas, we don't have to borrow a boat. We, we got one. Or Matthew, who had spent his entire career working to be a tax collector for the Roman government. And he just walks away and throws a party. <laughs> James tells us that faith without works is dead. And, you know, theologians have battled through this. Martin Luther even struggled greatly with this text because he just was missing it, right? And... The reason he was struggling with it is because it would seem surface level that we work to build our faith, we work to attain faith, but that's not what James is saying at all, right? James is saying that because we have faith, we work. 
And so if there's an absence of work, that means there is no faith there. So if we have truly trusted in Christ and we're following and serving Christ, then we're going to be faithful. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said in verse 15 right there. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so true salvation leads to God-honoring obedience. If we have truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if we have repented of our sins and we have confessed those sins to Christ and we have believed that God is who He says He is and that Christ is God's gift to us to reconcile us to Himself, then our life, our desire will be for God-honoring obedience. And again... The Father gives us the Holy Spirit to aid us in this as He has called us and then He teaches us what to do. And the Holy Spirit works in us to show us more and more of the nature and character of God to allow us to be obedient, to allow us to desire obedience, to to be reminded of God's goodness towards us in Christ. And He doesn't even stop there. But he gives us the gift of peace. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before, it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now, I'm looking at my watch, and I'm already over time. Surprise, surprise. And I'm just telling you, man, I feel like we could spend like the next five weeks on just these few verses. The call is to surrender to Jesus for salvation. And the gift for doing that is to receive the Holy Spirit of God. And what does the Holy Spirit bring? Shalom. Peace. Peace. So the truth is this, that the Holy Spirit gives the Christian a supernatural peace to endure life's greatest afflictions. Listen again, verse 27. Peace I leave with you in my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Meaning, I'm not taking it back. This is not conditional. It's completely free if you trust me. He says, let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. Why? Because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And I, I now I've told you this before it takes place, so that when it does happen, you can believe. I'm telling you exactly what's going to take place. I'm preparing you for the darkest moment in history. So that you can believe. 
And in these last two verses, he's basically saying, my time's gone. The father of this world, Satan is coming and he is about to unleash his wrath. And he thinks that he is going to win. But his wrath is very minute compared to the wrath of my father, which I'm going to take. And it's going to eclipse Satan's work. And he is going to crush me because it was his will to do so. So that we could be called the children, the sons and daughters of God. And Satan's going to rejoice and he's going to do so for three days. But in three days, guess what? That grave will be empty and I will be alive and death and Satan will be defeated forever and you will be able to live because I live and you will not be living alone because then I will leave again and I'm going to give you the greatest gift the world has ever known outside of the salvation that I provide and it's my spirit living within you and he will give you a peace that passes all understanding Because the giver of this peace is greater than anyone and everything we will ever face in this life. And so here's the snapshot. That God is the sovereign creator and ruler of all things. And the perfect union between Father, Son, and Spirit gives calm assurance That we are more than conquerors because he loves us. You want to know why when I read Romans 8, I get really hyped up towards the end? Because it's like hype. That's what it is. For chapters, Paul has just told us how terrible we are, himself included. And then he talks about how great Christ is and the salvation that he provides. And then he spends Romans 8. That's like... That point, that point in the sermon where he's just like going off, right? And it's building, and it's building, and it's building. And he's like, he just all of a sudden gets to like 28 and following, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and he just absolutely explodes. And with this emphatic verse 37, no! We are more than conquerors because of the love of Christ in us. And you know how we remember that? Through the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do we remember that the word is good and the word is true? The Holy Spirit. How do we accomplish the works that Jesus has set us apart to do? The Holy Spirit. How do we have the assurance that this life, even though it's going to be full of its plenty of hard times, that God is still good? The Holy Spirit. How can we know that at the end of this life, when we have exhausted everything for the glory of God, that we will receive the eternal reward? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit reminds us of that truth. So I'll leave you with this. Study the word with everything you have. Surrender to Christ your life for salvation and follow the Holy Spirit's leading. And rest in the peace of God. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to know that for those who love you and are called by you, you're working all things together for good. 
So for those here, God, this morning that don't know you, call them to rejoice in you and to repentance today so that they can experience the marvelous love of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.